We read in chapter 16 that they were spirit-led, that they were following um, the, the calling of the Holy Spirit that would lead them and direct them to places that they needed to be, right? And uh, that's very, very important. Uh, the Lord has a way of directing us to the places that we need to be at the specific time, especially when we are on a mission for the Lord. When we are on mission, um, we remain in an in a on position. And when we're on that on position, we're always going to be ready to minister to the people that God brings us into contact with throughout our days, throughout our journey. And so Paul was constantly um, focusing with his spiritual eyes where God wanted to use him. Verse 2, it says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days. Now, um, three Sabbath days means that there was three separate Sabbath days. And we all know that Sabbath was Saturday, right? Or it was the day of rest, uh, el día séptimo. Um, just like in the book of Genesis, the Sabbath day was the seventh day that God rested after he created the heavens and the earth. And so in, on three Sabbath days, it means that Jesus, excuse me, that Paul and his company were there um, in Thessalonica for how many weeks? Three. For three weeks. So um, it doesn't say exactly how many days, but they were there for three weeks minimum, or three, day, three Sabbath days minimum. And Paul did what he did best. He reasoned the scriptures with those who didn't know the scriptures. Paul would break open the scripture and explain the scripture because he was a lawyer. He was a doctor of the law. Paul was raised in the school of rabbis. And being that he was a teacher of the law, he was a doctor of the law, and he was an expert at the law, what Paul was able to do was to go and talk with the Jews who didn't know who Jesus was, who had not trusted Jesus or believed that he was Messiah because Paul knew how to handle now the Old Testament scriptures and bring people into the light, bring them into the knowledge of Messiah. Paul would explain from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament exactly how, how Jesus would make sense and be explained throughout the ancient scriptures. So he would reason with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And when he explains the, the reason behind Christ's suffering and why he and how he rose from the dead, what he would do is he would, he would point to the Old Testament prophecies. There were Old Testament scriptures that would point to Jesus and, and, and Paul would actually get into the weeds of explaining the minutia of what it meant for David, King David, who would write psalms and write prophetic psalms about Messiah. Or Isaiah, in Isaiah's prophetic writings of the history of Israel, of warning, right, of judgment. Isaiah would also prophesy, for example, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where the, the life of the Messiah was being prophesied. The birth of the Messiah was prophesied. And then he would explain how Jesus' life actually measured up and was a fulfillment of all of these Old Testament scriptures. And the reason why 
why Paul had to reason in the synagogues with the Jews about these matters is because of this. Faith was not an emotional decision. Coming to Jesus was not, you had an experience at the altar, you got goosebumps on your arms, your hair started to stand up, and all of a sudden you know God's real. No! You could go to a, a Michael Jackson concert and you, the hair will stand up on your, on your hands, on your arms. You could be in, at Dodger Stadium in the middle of game seven and someone hits a, a home run and, and you'll have the same kind of euphoric experience where you think that that's pointing to God. When actually it may not be at all. So what Paul was doing was reasoning with his mind, bringing people to the intellectual knowledge of who Jesus was and allowing them to put their faith and trust in God intellectually. Intellectually. For us, we're reading the Bible, we see, we see this as a spiritual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise for us to, to read the word of God and, and to try and pull some some practical wisdom for the day to get you on your journey and and fill up your tank on a Wednesday night. This is hump day. No, this is not just a spiritual exercise. This is not just a spiritual discipline. This is you and I actually going through the intellectual exercises of sharpening our tool and our faith based on knowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Being able to explain that in an apologetic way, who Jesus was. Now, granted, we know Paul's story, right? Acts chapter 9 says that Saul, before he was referred to as Paul, had an experience. He had an encounter with God, a supernatural encounter with Jesus, where he saw Jesus who appeared to him, right? And Jesus spoke to him. Even people that were with Saul heard the voice of Jesus that was speaking to Saul, but they couldn't see anybody. Only only Saul was able to see what um, this image of Jesus, of Christ, right before him. But it was God using that particular supernatural experience and encounter as a revelation for Saul or Paul. And then Paul's life completely just changed and and he was able to see now with spiritual lenses everything that God had been doing in the people of Israel throughout time and history. And so these are the things that, that the Lord wants us to, to, to get a handle on in our faith. So that it's, we, we, we start, we can, we can simply go to the scripture and talk with people through the scripture, if they have questions. Come on, y'all. We can't allow different kinds of faiths or, or religions to know more about their idea of their God than us. We need to know the scriptures. And we need to be able to, to understand the scriptures so that we can, in turn, bring others into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is a saving knowledge. Amen? And it says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, verse 4, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks 
and not a few prominent women. So what does that mean? Not a few prominent women. A whole lot of prominent women came to know Jesus through the gospel. And we're going to pick up on a couple of things here in verse uh, chapter 17 and 18 today, which, which are um, major, major um, issues, um, especially in the church today in the 21st century. So um, they joined Paul and Silas. So at this point, Paul, his, his running mate was Silas. Um, his, Luke is, is making sure that he highlights both of these gentlemen um, in the work that they're doing. And the way Paul's message was reaching the Greeks um, that were there. That means that he was preaching and teaching in places where he had access to Gentiles. Not just the Jews. He wasn't just teaching in the synagogues, but he was also preaching and teaching in public um, places. Okay? Probably when they were doing business, right? Tent making, trading, meeting folks, interacting with people. While they were doing all this, their Christian witness was on display. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, the Agora, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees. Watch this, you guys. Saying that there is another king. One called Jesus. Pause there, verse 7. This reminds me of the book of Daniel. That when people were on fire for God, and when somebody is on fire for God, you can't help but see the glory of the Lord and the favor of God all over them. They prosper in every way. And in doing so, when people are elevated, lifted up, when people are promoted, when people are blessed because of who they are. You know, when you're blessed because of who you are, people want to come after you. People want to tear you down because of who you are. People want to try and cause you to fall or stumble. And it says... It reminds me of, of the book of Daniel where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had found favor in the Babylonian government. And because of the spirit, the Bible says the spirit of excellence that was upon them, wherever they went, they were placed in high command positions. And the officials that were from Babylon did not like the fact that there were Jews who really were like captives or like people who were um, under oppression were actually placed in higher positions over these other folks. And so one of the ways that they tried to remove Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was to try and lie against them or, or to cause traps for them like spying on David or Daniel when he would be praying 
near his window when they erected a massive statue, right, of Nebuchadnezzar. And they made a decree and talked the king into establishing a law or a statue that everybody had to bow down to this statue. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not bowing down to anything, the king had to enact the law that said you would be killed. But the Lord was with them. Amen? Amen. Praise God. The Lord was with them. So we're, we're reminded here in verse 7 that one of the ways that you can really try to bring somebody down is by creating a false narrative, creating a kind of a jealousy in somebody else. That is, that feeds into uh, greed, right? Pride, um, arrogance, right? Um, when the wrong people are in somebody's ear, they can cause that ear and that heart to turn against a certain person or a people. And that's what the, the Jews were doing right here. They said, oh, look, they, they're talking about, they have another king. And that's why they're speaking um, to try and bring Caesar into the conversation or the, the king of, of the Romans. Verse 8. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So here in Thessalonica, did they have a, a warm welcome? Did, did Paul and, and Silas have a warm welcome in Thessalonica? No. They faced opposition. Did they let that stop them from planting the seeds of Christ and from preaching the gospel? No. What is one of the letters, one of the epistles that Paul writes? What's one of the cities? He writes a letter to the Thessalonians. The book of Thessalonians, right, um, is, is a letter to, the, to that, that, that house church, which became part of the city church. Right? So Paul um, was able to establish the, the work there by, verse 4 tells us, who are, who are those who received the gospel? A large number of God-fearing Greeks, people who had believed in this almighty, sovereign God, but never knew Jesus. They believed in this God, not even the, the God of the Jews, but they believed that there was a greater, higher power, this God-type uh, deity. So they were a God-fearing people in, in particular. And what Paul did was help connect that idea or concept of God for them to who Jesus is. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's go now to verse 10 and let's, let's learn about the Bereans. So we can say, we can, we can, let's, let's wrap up verses 1 through 9 basically by saying that the, the church at Thessalonica or Thessalonica, however you want to pronounce it, let us all agree that this was a church that persevered based on the people who had received the gospel here that, is, that are referred to in verse 4 and that they were able to navigate and manage their faith and their gatherings and the growing of the gospel despite the Jews in that same city trying to bring opposition against them and to bring them down. Amen?
What a testimony of resilience. When somebody tries to come against you, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. The other day, we were talking with our kids about inviting their friends to vacation Bible school and inviting them to church on Wednesday nights. And one of my boys says, yeah, dad, but, but such and such friend says, you know, every time I invite him, he says, hey, man, don't, don't tell me about that stuff anymore. You know, so I don't really tell him, you know, about Jesus or try to invite him anymore. And I go, hey, mijo, keep telling him about Jesus. Keep inviting him to church and keep showing them the love of God through your actions. But don't ever stop. Because you never know when God is going to open their heart to receive the same invitation that you gave, gave them a year ago or two years ago or four years ago. The Lord may move upon their heart to where they're actually ready now. Oh, but they have their own religion, Dad. I go, that's okay. It doesn't mean that our religion is better. We're just giving them the opportunity to, to see because we're not trying to condescend towards people. You're never going to get anywhere in anybody, somebody of a different faith, by treating them condescendingly. The way that you meet people is by meeting them where they are, through respect and love. Not antagonizing them, but being able to have a conversation. In order, in order to have a conversation, we need to also know a little bit of where they come from. You guys following me? Having a general knowledge of maybe some of the different faiths or the religions of the world today would probably do us a lot of good in being able to have productive, friendly, and fruitful conversations with somebody of a different persuasion or faith. And don't hear me wrong when I say that their faiths and religions are not better. I simply am, am saying, let God be the one who proves himself to them. We know who we serve. We know we serve the one true God. According to the scripture, we serve the one true God, according to Isaiah chapter 40, right? We serve the one true God. Okay, so let's continue. Let's go into now Berea. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Oh, so so where, did, where did Paul and Silas like to go as soon as they came into a city or a town? To where? The synagogue, right? That was where they felt most comfortable arriving. There were people there that they probably knew, right? Probably knew people in those, those, those cities and those towns, right? And, and Paul knew that he was going to have a lot to talk about, right, uh, when he would come into these places. Now, the Bereans, everybody say Bereans. Okay, so if you have notes or you have a notepad or you have a highlighter or a pen, you're going to want to highlight these, these areas right here because it's good as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ to understand the people that, that Christ ministered to, that Paul ministered to, because for us, they provide symbolism. They provide imagery for us. They provide the... Um, a spiritual way for us to connect to the different types of people in Scripture because in a lot of ways, they're like parables for us. And we can talk about our faith and, you know, like, yeah, man, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like the Bereans, you know. Or, you know what, that church over there, they're kind of like the church at Corinth, right? And we can connect in those ways because we've been grafted into the faith. And so the history of the church and Israel becomes our history, Amen. 
Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Wow, Luke, Luke really puts the Thessalonians out there, right? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, let's, let's stop there for a moment. All right, how many of us, we hear a scripture, whether on the radio or here at church or in a Bible study, we just kind of take it, we close our Bible, we close our journal, and then we go on our merry way. Never, never inviting the spirit of discernment or the, um, the, the, the discipline of Bible study to come into our life. We need to engage in a greater and deeper Bible study. Not just short little devotionals. I'm not going to give you the little, hey, just you know, spend one minute in the Bible each day and you're good. No. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to grow in the Word of God. Okay? If you want to grow in Christ and you want to grow in the Word of God, I'm going to challenge you to press into the Word of God. That is the only way you, de- you develop a desire and a hunger for God's Word is when you spend time in God's Word and you see the benefits of God's Word. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And then Psalm 103 says, and forget not all of his benefits. All of his benefits come when we understand God's word and then God's word bubbles up in our spirit, in our soul, in our conversations, in our, in our, in our, um, in our thoughts with our spouses, with our children, with our family members, our coworkers. Oh man, you become a person of light. Amen? And here the Bereans... Every time Paul would, would begin a lesson or a Bible study and start to teach, and he would start to, to, to refer, right, to the, the prophet Isaiah, the Bereans must have been a, 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 a pretty well-to-do community. That means they had access to the scriptures, right? Whether it's through the synagogue or whether it was people that were there that were wealthy who had scrolls of the Old Testament scriptures Right, which we call the, the Jewish Bible. So let's continue um, what it says right here. It says that the Bereans were of more noble character. Uh, I think Luke, Luke is a little biased right here, wasn't he? He's like, hey, these dudes are awesome, man. These guys are righteous. These guys are righteous, man. Right? They, they welcomed the word of God. And, and probably because there was less opposition, Luke would really felt blessed by them. But they welcomed the conversation. They welcomed the discussion. He welcomed the questions. And Paul welcomed the, the questions. Not in an antagonistic way. It wasn't to try and cause fights or arguments, right? You guys know any people that they always want to pick fights? Or they're contrarians? Right? You're always going to have some contrarians in, in, in your world and in your life. Try not to be one. Too much. Catch yourself when you find yourself being one. And be more open to pleasant conversations, even if you disagree. Amen? The Bereans, look what it says. They would search the scriptures. The, 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 the Greek word right here is examine, which means that they would test. They would test the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. So Paul was, had to keep his, his knife sharp, Araceli. He had to keep his knife sharp because he knew that that they were going to come back with a follow-up question 
from the last question. And if Paul was able to string along enough responses and answers that would satisfy their questions, it was going to be able to plant the seed of faith and then allow that seed of faith to take root. That's why we have to be able to give an account or give an answer, you guys, according to Scripture. When people ask us, maybe you don't have the answer right away, but guess what? It may be the opportunity for you to say, hey, you know what? That's a great question. Let me get back to you on that and write that question down and then get back to them with the question that, with the, with the answer to the question that the people had. Be like the Bereans and also let's be like Paul. Many of the Jews believed, verse 12, chapter 17, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So here in, in Berea, there was a wonderful um, reception for the gospel. Praise the Lord when you're driving down the street, right, and you get nothing but green lights. Oh, don't you love that? Oh, man, just like green light, green light, green light, green light. I'm like, oh, praise God. This is nice. Green light, green light. It's when you're about to be late to work, right? You start getting all those red lights. You got to be somewhere, and you start, hit, oh, man. And then you start looking at your maps, you know, and it said you had six minutes, and then all of a sudden it's like ten minutes. But praise God when you get green lights because you're going to get enough red lights and stop signs in life. It's a blessing when the Lord go ahead, goes ahead of you and opens doors for you. Just enjoy those moments and thank God for those moments. Right, guys? Thank God for those moments where the gospel is, is well received. Praise God when, when you don't have to face opposition all the time. There's enough in Scripture that teach us in our faith that opposition and perseverance is good. It doesn't say that there's anything wrong with, with blessing and green lights and money, unexpected money coming in the mail that you didn't even know was on its way. Amen? When relationships are going well, praise the Lord for relationships when they're going well and just thank God for those moments because we all know that sometimes relationships can be difficult. So we thank God when things go well. You shouldn't feel bad when your business prospers. You shouldn't feel bad when you get promoted at work. You shouldn't feel bad when things are going well in life. Enjoy those moments and those times and those seasons. Because I bet if you thought back just for a couple of minutes, you can think about all those difficult moments and times and dark moments and depressing moments. Right? So always thank the Lord for those great moments. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, uh-oh, here comes those rabble-rousers. They went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul, being the main 
person. He was always the, the object of, of one's dismay. He was always the, when you're the key person, you got a big target on your back. And there's others that are able to flank you that aren't going to get um, all the heat, right? But when you're, when you're the person that has the target on your back, you have to press into the Lord in prayer. You got to ask the Lord to give you strength. And that's why our spiritual life, our prayer life, right, has got to be so rich. Because when you are a type of Paul, you have to be prepared for anything that comes your way. I know for me as a pastor, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the decision that I have to make don't make people happy. And those could be lonely moments. Right? So I have to go to the Lord. I have to trust in the Lord and not my own strength. I have to believe that that the Lord is by my side and directing my every decision. Right? As parents, you have to make hard decisions that sometimes upset your children or your own parents, your own family members. And those are difficult moments. Praise the Lord. And then, like, Paul, like Silas and Timothy, we have to also know when it's, we can go under the radar. When you are able to go under the radar because the big bullseye is not on your back, you got to be more spiritually strategic. You got to be able to continue to do the things that God wants to use you for in ways that, that are going to bless others and be useful in the kingdom of God, in the advancement of the gospel. You know my brother David? You guys know my brother David, Coach Dave Canales? He's 41 years old. He's been in the NFL coaching for 13 years. He's been a position coach for the majority of those 13 years in the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks. But it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the time when David is going to have a greater responsibility and is going to have to answer the hard questions because of the influence and the, the positions that he's going to be taking as he keeps moving up in his coaching career. Maybe one day an offensive coordinator, maybe someday a head coach. But for the time being, these last 13 years, guess what? You don't have the, the bullseye on your back. The head coach is the one who gets fired. The offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the ones making the big decisions, those guys get fired. And the position coaches, they have the opportunity to pour into their families. They have the opportunity to, to pour into relationships with people around them because the spotlight's not on them yet. But the day is going to come when people like my brother David are going to have more of the spotlight on them. Until the spotlight is on you, guess what? 
Keep your life pure. Establish a deep commitment to Jesus. A broad foundation in Christ. Establish a Christ-like walk with Jesus. While nobody is looking. While the magnifying glass is not on your life. Because one day the Lord just may put you in a position where you will be under the magnifying glass. You will be under the spotlight for Christ. Because Christ has got to raise up the next Paul's, the next Timothy's, the next Peter's. And we have to be ready to take that baton and run with it. We can't just wait in the wings forever. But meanwhile, look. While Timothy and Silas were watching and learning, they were able to just kind of still be around, take care of things. They were able to be the backup roles and backup players. You know what I love? That quote unquote dark horse, the one that nobody really suspects. But meanwhile, they're they're building and they're growing and they're picking up momentum in life. And they're the one that works hard. And they're the one that keeps striving and pursuing and growing low key under the radar until it's their time to soar. And when it's their time to soar, there's nothing stopping them because now they are solid. Their foundation is boom, like a rock. Because they weren't pushed out too soon, too quickly. You know, when people are young, they think they know it all. They think they have all the answers. They think they could do this, and I can do that, and, and I can do this. But then the Lord, because he loves them, he teaches them, no, you're not ready for that. But I'm preparing you if you stay humble, if you stick with it. Stay faithful. Stay humble. I want to use you. But you're in preparation. You're in the learning phase. You're not in the leading phase yet. You're in the growing phase. You're not in the directing phase yet. Right? What a blessing. So you guys, do what my father's generation did. They started us, us young people off with small menial tasks like mopping floors, like making sure that we show up to work on time, like making sure that we pay our dues before we're given any great responsibility or real uh, great task. Make the young people work for it. Don't give in to their sense of entitlement. I know we're dealing with a different generation. Listen to them. Encourage them. But let them pay their dues also. Paul was very clear about that, of not allowing someone who was young in the faith to have great spiritual responsibility or leadership within the church, lest they become arrogant or conceited and quickly fall. So here at Mission Ebenezer, 
We let people come that want to join our church. They like what's going on and they want to start doing stuff, big stuff right away. Like, hey, man, take a seat. And we have, join us. See if this is a place that you want to stay. Learn about the church. Get to know the people. Let's see if you're for real or, or fake. Let's see if you just want the spotlight, but you don't want to serve the people. If you want to be a pastor, you got to smell like the sheep. You don't just get to preach. You go visit the sick. You visit the elderly, the shut-ins. You count nails and screws in the garage and do inventory for Pastor Caesar. Those are the things that our young leaders are going through right now. But they're the leaders of tomorrow. They're learning now. They're junior leaders. And we have great supervision and oversight that are raising them up. Right now, we're, we have an amazing summer internship program with five young people under the age of 25 that your tithes and offerings are paying them. So it's not slave labor. But they are blessed, man. Minimum wage, 15 bucks. We're, we're taking care of them. Our church crew is growing slowly, but surely our church is getting stronger and stronger as we come out of this two and a half year pandemic that we've been in. We're a part of a strong church by the grace of God. Come on, y'all. We got five young people, young men and young women. Brooklyn Sosa, Maisha Edwards, Isaac Madera, Ezekiel Talavera. Who's my other one, Nena? Samantha Fernandez. And then we have Brother Enoch who's in his mid-twenties, and Sister Rachel, who's in her mid-twenties, who are just part of this, this awesome team that's growing right here. and We're doing our best. And we have, a, we have a, a team of supervisors, Pastor Joe, Pastor Caesar, Pastor Manuel, Pastor Nana, Pastor Boomy, Sister Jackie, um, that are providing the, the covering and the direction and the hands-on training. And it's a blessing. They're the Silas and Timothys of Mission Ebenezer. They get a chance to grow in a healthy way, in a healthy church, and learn ministry in a new world. Carlos, you're leading the charge of this next generation that wants to do ministry in a different way, and they're reaping the benefits of what God's doing here. God's been ringing the church out, ringing it out putting us through the olive press. He's been putting us through the wine press, not just Mission Ebenezer, Church with the capital C. He's bringing us through a wonderful time of testing and tribulation. And, and the harder he rings us out and he presses us in, the better the oil and the better the, the juice. Praise the Lord for your faithfulness and for God's leading us in, his, in this way. Amen, Mission? Praise God. 
verse 16. Uh, verse 16. Let's go to Athens. So you guys, did you guys get enough of, of Berea? Be like the Bereans. Study the scripture. Write notes. Ask questions. Grow in the word of God. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. <laughs> You're going to see why here in Athens. This is like every college, campus, university, campus, right? So this is what you got to prepare your kids for. If they're going to college, you got to be training them and preparing their hearts and minds now. So he reasoned in the synagogue. And once again, where did he go? The synagogue. And uh, basically, synagogue means a place of, of meeting, place of, of gathering. Sunago means to bring together in Greek. Sunago. So, uh, sunagoge in Greek simply meant the place of gathering or meeting. And it's really like the same, one of the similar words of ecclesia or church, iglesia, which means a place of assembly. So he went to the synagogue with the, with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, the, the Agora, day by day with those who happened to be there. Basically, he was going to the farmer's market, right? A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. All right, pause there for a moment. Just really quickly by way of definition and, and, um, and knowledge, um, Epicurus was a guy who basically said, uh, you only live once, and you might as well live it up. So eat and drink and be merry and embrace uh, sensual pleasure, right? Anything that feels good, do it. Uh, anything that seems good, don't miss out. And that was uh, the, the philosophy of Epicurus. Um, so that, that's what the Epicureans did. Um, and so people that were really high on thought were folks that felt that they really experienced the greatest of revelation and knowledge or wisdom that the world had to offer, which, you know, they probably came from a city of wealth, a city of substance where people could just sit around and think about philosophy all day and just talk, you know, place of culture, right? Enjoying nice things, right? So Paul went to the Areopagus, and this is where people that he's running into. The Stoics. What are the, who are the Stoics? Stoicism basically it says, don't let your emotions rule you. You know, just stay on an even keel. No highs, no lows. Because your emotions, you know, they'll, they'll fool you. And so st Stoics are people who kind of always have like a, a deadpan face. You know, like people are always like this. Like poker face. And so, oh man, that dude's stoic. Right? It's people that very, very seldomly or very rarely um, show any type of affect on their face or their body language. They just live life like, right? Like this. Stoic um, philosophers believed in the development of self-control and fortitude as a means of overcoming destructive emotions. Clear and unbiased thinker always allows one to understand the universal reason or logos. So if you were a stoic, basically you thought like, 
presence. You thought lowly of most other people because you, had, you were enlightened and you were in control. And everything that you had believed or that you know up until this point in your life all makes sense and is logical. And that's why you've arrived at the place that you've arrived, probably very, very successful because you were not moved by emotions or influenced by other things but by just sound logic. So there's some good to this kinds of stuff, right? And the Areopagus was a place where the people were coming. Let's, let's keep reading. Um, verse 18b, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, which means um, it's Mars Hill or this massive, massive rock where people would come to study, um, to think, to dispute, to argue the latest philosophies, literature, and culture, <clears throat> then look what it says. May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? They asked him the question in verse 19. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. Talking about Jesus, the Christ, the God-man. They're like, what the heck? The Avengers is not even a movie series that's been created yet. All the Athenians, people from Athens, and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. All right, now you got you to realize some of the smartest men alive, some of the smartest men around, or at least cultured, schooled, educated. Paul stood up, and he's bringing Christ and that's why God wanted to use Paul because of what Paul was working with up, upstairs. He was a brilliant man, probably had a photographic recollection of things that he read, things that he heard, probably had a high command on Greek and Hebrew and probably other languages. So Paul was able to reason and go to town with people that would bring their thoughts and their arguments to him. So God had a reason why he called Paul. It was prophesied over Paul that he would stand before governors and kings and preach Jesus. Look what it says. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. He's like, so this inscription, this idol, this idol that you've been worshiping or, or um, idolizing that you do not know. He was like, I'm going to explain to you who that person is. Paul saw an in and a way to break it down to them. 
Look what he says, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Here we go, guys. We're getting to my favorite verse of tonight. Get ready. From one man, he made every nation of men. Hallelujah. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Here we are, verse 28. Let's all read verse 28 together. On the count of three, ready, begin. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let's read that again. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of you, uh, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Oh, in him, we live and move and have our being. Praise the Lord. Isn't that everything that the Stoics and the Epicureans and all the other Greek philosophers are trying to chase after? The meaning of life? The reason why we live? What causes us to move and to shake? And to make things happen? Why are we on this rock anyway? Earth. In the middle of the Milky Way universe. Amazing. I love the way Paul just comes at them. You know, and and Paul would hold back. Paul wouldn't speak this way to every crowd, would he? No. No. Paul knew how to speak to the different crowds, just like Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi of rabbis. But when he got around the masses, Jesus told stories and parables in ways that even children could understand the gospel. Right? So that children in the 414 window would receive Jesus Christ. You know the 414 window? Statistically proven that people from the age of 4 to 14 are the the largest window or or category of of human beings that receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and live out the gospel for the rest of their lives. That people obviously before 4, not really able to comprehend that much, little people. And that after 14, the statistics show that the percentages start to decline in terms of people that are readily able to accept or receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. It still happens, but in lesser numbers. It's a fact. So, um, Paul's trying to get right at the essence. The essence of who we are. Right? And I love that. I was reading an article today, talked about people who are retiring. Now, I don't know if that applies to anybody in here, people thinking about retiring. I got parents who are both retired, um, a, a mother-in-law who's retired, and it was going through all the stats of people who retire early because of great jobs and great benefits and in their 50s, and man, they go through depressions because they're like, they didn't think about the second half of life. They didn't think about, let's say, the second career or a more meaningful career. They didn't have a hobby. They didn't have a purpose. They didn't have, 
the reason that was going to keep them moving and going and excited about life for the next 30, 40 years maybe. I know some of us pick up wonderful, wonderful things that they've, they've been able to um, begin throughout life and then really just blossom. David, I hope you don't mind me talking about you and your, your pop-up art display that you had recently of your artwork. A, retail, uh, a retired longshoreman right here, one of our brothers, who has a collection of paintings, and this guy's an amazing painter, a gifted painter. God showed him what he was going to use him to communicate, to enjoy life, to be a grandpa, and to serve Jesus faithfully. What an example, David. I apologize if I'm embarrassing you. You're an inspiration to us. Paul was getting to the point of us understanding that the whole purpose is this man named Jesus. Jesus makes all the difference in life. Amen? It's 8 o'clock. Shucks. All right, a few more minutes. A few more minutes. Um, verse 29. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Oh, here we go. Come on, Paul. For he has set a day when, we will, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead, Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that a blessing? When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Strange, interesting. Have you ever heard it or talked to anybody that actually never ever really knew the Bible, heard the Bible, read the Bible, or knew the story of Jesus? It is actually very, very intriguing to them. And may the Lord prepare us to be able to share and communicate in such a way that would interest them and pique their interest. Right? And prick their heart and move them to repentance. And to faith in Jesus. At that, Paul left the council. He's like, I did my job and I didn't say too much. We'll pick up next, next time. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. Whoa! No easy convert. Oh, you think somebody will never give their life to Jesus? Oh, just give God a chance. Give God a chance. And also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Praise God. Man, we didn't even get a chance to go to chapter 18. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's go there for a few more minutes, all right? Let's go there for a few more minutes. Let's go to 815, all right, guys? After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. All right, now we're arriving in Corinth. I would say Los Angeles. There he met a Jew named 
Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So during the week, Paul worked, and on the day of worship, he preached. He reasoned with the Jews or the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, remember that they were, they were told to come and join up with Paul later? Finally caught up to them now in Corinth. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now transition. He put the young ones back to the tent-making business, and he dedicated himself to prayer and to teaching and preaching and preparing his sermons or his, his debates. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he's not, say, he's not saying, now, from this point on, I'm only going to deal with or work with Gentiles. It's simply talking about here in Corinth. Okay? Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Praise the Lord. So the synagogue ruler, in other words, the head, one of the head priests or pastors of the synagogue there in Corinth gave his life to Jesus through Paul's ministry. Man, do you think that that town was shook up? Do you think that synagogue was shook up when their head dude said, I'm following Jesus? That's called a scandal. That's called a scandal. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. I love this. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you, and no one's going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. Praise the Lord. Everybody wants to send California to hell in a handbasket. But how many of you know that God, <laughs> someone like that, that, but how many of you know that God has many people in this state? How many of you know that God has many people in this city? Many faithful people. Many God-fearing people. Many, many Christ-following people. People that don't consider themselves great, but who are great in God's eyes. Are you one? So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Somebody took care of him. And he was blessed for a year and a half in, in Corinth, in L.A. He's like, well, I think we need to slow down our, our missionary journeys for a little bit. I bet, you, I bet you something else was happening. I'm kind of reading between the lines. Don't quote me. But I bet you business was good. I bet you they were selling a lot of tents. I bet you. I bet you they were, they were storing up their coffers 
I bet you the books were doing well. And Paul goes, oh, we're doing well. Right, Pastor Manuel? Economics play a big role in everything that God does. I bet God blessed their business there in Corinth because it was a big city. It was a big port city, un puerto. So there were people coming in and coming out. Money was coming in and out from all over the world, bringing their, their finest of merchandise. And Paul and Timothy and Silas, I bet, they're, they're, I bet their business was no slouch. I bet they did their, their business with excellence. I bet Paul could will and deal, don't you think? Man, he was smart. I like to think of myself of being able to use my smarts for the Lord too. And handling God's affairs, the kingdom business, and managing things well. We use everything that God gives us, gives us for his glory. Amen? While Galio was proconsul, just means like a governor or a leader of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Watch what happens. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you, but I'm not going to waste my time. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I'll not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. And, and, and some scholars, Carlitos, believe that Sosthenes was Crispus, the same synagogue ruler. Because there probably wasn't um, a whole bunch of synagogue or different synagogues right there where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were. They probably stayed around the same area to conduct their business and conduct the, the, the affairs of the church. So many think that this was... Um, Maybe a Roman name and Sosthenes, possibly a Greek name, referring to the same person. Um, but they beat him up right there. He was the, if, if, we, if we do agree or we, we think that he is the same synagogue ruler that came to, to Christ um, in verse 8, then it's fair enough to say that the people that were a part of the scandal of him leaving the synagogue, right, um, we're looking for an opportunity to bring harm against him. And then they had an opportunity right there when um, the proconsul, Galileo, kicked them out of court. Like, Get out of my court. You got, don't even know what you're talking about. But I'm, I'm, sad, I'm sad that Sosthenes or, or Crispus was beat up. And I pray that he was okay. It doesn't really go into much after that. Um, let's wrap up here because I do want to make some comments about Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So this is the point in Scripture now where the re any reference to, to this married couple, um, Priscilla and Aquila, it always refers to the woman first. First, uh, in the beginning of chapter 18, it says, and then a man named Aquila and his wife, Priscilla, came and met Paul, and they were tent makers, and they became buds. After this, and when, whenever uh, referenced, it always refers to Priscilla and Aquila. It's interesting how the woman's name was mentioned before the man's name, even a, remo, uh, a Roman Greco culture in context. 
before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea because of a vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But he has left. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. This is places that he had already established the church. So he was able to go to the Christian brothers and sisters. That's, how, that's why Luke refers to them as the church and not simply another synagogue or Jewish meeting place. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Praise the Lord. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Oh, Alexandria was another place of high intellect, philosophy there in northern Egypt came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and a thorough knowledge and, and uh, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. You guys, Egypt or, or northern, northern Africa was a place where many of our early Christian fathers of the faith um, really helped to develop our Christian theology, right? Over the, over the years in the second century, third century A.D., um, Augustus and, and many other people were um, folks that were, were taught and raised and educated there in northern Africa. Let's continue. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Watch this, you guys. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Hmm. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited, everybody say they. So the purpose of this is that we're acknowledging women in ministry. The, the women with the men. They, when they heard him preach, they brought him in, invited him to their home, and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So now Paul had another contemporary scholar, theologian, preacher that was able to help him in communicating the gospel in ways that we're going to continue to advance the efforts of Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. That when, when, when iron sharpens iron. Praise the Lord when you find somebody who loves the, the Lord and loves the word like you. Who encourages you to grow in the word of God. Because guess what? If you don't allow yourself to be influenced by people who are going to challenge you in your faith. And help you grow in your faith. You're going to decline. Spiritually. You'll drift from the Lord. Your walk with Jesus will become weak. We become susceptible to sin and temptation. And we are not as fruitful in the Lord's service as we can if we have people around us that keep us sharp, 
and that we have a good, healthy, let me put this in a, in a, in a fun way, a good, healthy Christian rivalry in a way where, where somebody across town makes you better. Are you guys with me? Or somebody that you know who's growing in Christ in a way inspires you and challenges you to stay sharp and to keep growing in Christ. Not in a negative way, like a jealous way or like I want to be them kind of way or envious or not that way. But in a way where, you, where there are people there that God is using that you say, oh man, I'm encouraged to keep growing in the word of God, growing in, in teaching or preaching and growing in my faith, growing in my prayer life. Amen, you guys? May we have people like that in our lives that help keep us sharp. Like Paul had Apollos, somebody that um, he admired, somebody that uh, in a lot of ways Paul respected um, by the way God used him. And I praise the Lord because it's all for the glory of God. Amen? Um, all for the glory of God. So praise. Hey, we made it through chapter 17 and 18. Um, Do you guys enjoy the study tonight? Praise the Lord. Just like Apollos, proving from the scriptures. Scripture is always the, the, the best place to start. Um, just go straight to the scripture. You can go to the scripture at any point and you'll find Jesus. Amen. <laughs>